I am now recording. Hello out there on the internet, I am Matthew Galt and this is Cyber. Apple has democratized stalking for the modern world. With the AirTag, you can keep track of your luggage and your estranged spouse. There's been an uptick in stalking cases related to Apple AirTags, and the legal system doesn't quite know what to do. Often, the cops and the prosecutors don't even know what an AirTag is. So what do you do when there's technology at the center of your legal battle, technology that the authorities do not understand? With me today to answer some of these questions is Motherboard Senior Editor Samantha Cole. It's the subject of her new piece, The Legal System is Completely Unprepared for Apple AirTag. Wow. AirTag stalking. That was a uh, right before Christmas intro read right there, if I've ever heard one, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, As always. So for for people that are listening that may not know, we've talked about it on the show before. I think it's been almost a year, though. What's an AirTag? Yeah, so an AirTag is, it's probably about a quarter size or like a silver dollar size um, little coin device uh, that's essentially just uh, a battery and then a tracker that you can connect to your iPhone um, that you then put that little coin into like your luggage or your purse or stuff you might lose or want to keep track of. And it will send the location of that device back to your phone. Um, if you have an iPhone, so it will show you like a little map of where it is and where it's been. And, um, like it will chime and ping and make noise if you make it do that, or it will, you know, it'll stay quiet if you don't, if it's near you. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. It came out about a year ago in 2021. Um, Apple launched it, and then pretty much immediately, people started using it for very nefarious reasons. It like was stalking. it was really wild how fast uh, the nasty use cases came out. It was almost yeah. instantaneous. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty quick. And I think partially that's because this is something that people have been doing for a while through lots of different technology and devices. But, um, you know, you, you had like apps, stalkerware apps, um, you know, you have just like the old fashioned kind of like being followed by a uh, private investigator type uh, stalking. Um, and then, you know, you, you get the Apple AirTag, which costs $30 now, I think. Um, it's very easy to use. You, know, you just throw it into some of your stuff or some of the person that you're targeting's stuff, um, like we'll talk about, um, and then you can follow them from there. So it really made it very, very easy to be able to do this sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, you know that that's what people started doing with it right away. Yeah. So tell me about the story that you open up the piece with. Uh, is it Naomi? And I, I'm going to screw up her last name. Dozer. Yeah, so uh, she is a woman. She's a mom of three boys. Um, She is divorced from her husband, who had a very creepy uh, alleged track record of stalking, uh, invading her privacy. Um, She told me about some stuff that he did in the past that was very, you know, 
questionable as far as like consent and uh, following her or watching her. Um, so she was in the process of moving into her new boyfriend's place uh, and he, her ex-husband contacted her and, you know, demanded to know where she was and, you know, all these kind of like classic controlling type behaviors. Um, and then she found out a couple months down the line that he was actually following her through an air tag. Um, and he had put the air tag in their son's, their son that they share in his backpack, like in the front pocket where like lunch goes. So it's insulated um, and taped it down to the bottom with tape that matched the inside of the backpack. Um, so she was getting notifications that like this thing was following her for a while. And then, uh, couldn't find it because it was so well hidden. Um, and it turned out that he was you know, following her through, uh, or she believes he was following her through uh, their son when he was with her. Cause you know, he's, he's young and they're always together when they're together. Um, so yeah, it was obviously really rattling for her and huge kind of, um, you know, broach of her privacy to be doing this. Um, she went through the process of going to the courts and going to the police and, trying to get some kind of recourse on this. Um, and then, you know, as we find out in the story, she eventually um, goes to a judge and the judge says, um, you know, she can't actually get a, a permanent restraining order against this man because um, he didn't find it to be a, enough of a crime, I guess, um, is how it came down. Um, so, yeah, it was a really um, sad but also classic example of how the systems in place to protect people don't actually protect people when it comes to trying to get help for domestic abuse and stalking. All right. I want to back up. I have a couple questions. Um, you, I think you said in the story that the husband was able, like knew the layout of the house and was able to communicate mm-hmm. that to her. He was able to like figure all that just by watching the air tag. Um, I mean, she thinks that he, you know, he was following their whereabouts through the air tag, but then from there escalated it to like, he was either sending someone or he himself was going to their house and like looking inside. Um, so it was kind of like, they didn't really know how he knew that, but he knew some extremely detailed information about like where they were sleeping, um, you know, where they were living, who was living there. Um, so it was kind of like the, the air tag is just part of a pattern of, the shit he pulled it was, there. It was one tool in his abuse tool bag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you also said that she had been getting notifications on her phone. Uh, it, like, so if you're near an air tag that's tracking you, it will, or if you're near an air tag, a phone is going to tell you what's going on. Like what's, how does this work? Yeah. So if you have an iPhone, uh, it's built in that it will, give you a notification if there's an air tag that's following your location. Um, so it'll say, you know, you, it'll show you that it's seen where you are, um, you know, like on a map with a line and it'll say, you know, this is where it's been tracking you. Um, so you'll get that notification if you have an iPhone, if you don't have an iPhone, if you're on Android, which like most of the world <laughs> is, um, you have to download a special app to get that kind of notification. Uh, and this is something that Apple's been criticized about because that app came way late in the game. 
uh, like way after a lot of this had been happening. Because if you don't have an iPhone, you won't get the notifications um, unless you have this special app that doesn't come pre-installed on your phone. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll give you a notification. You can choose to like make it chime and beep or it'll just, it'll be doing that on its own. Um, and she was saying, one of the men I talked to, uh, she was saying that, um, it wasn't loud, it wasn't loud enough. Like, and several of the men I talked to said it wasn't loud enough because the, the people who are hiding it are hiding it, knowing that it will do that. So they're wrapping it in like towels or they're taping it in like the lunchbox. Um, so it'll be really quiet and kind of like, Oh, what was that noise? Did you hear that? It's not like a siren. Right. (laughs) It's a little, yeah, I've actually got, I'm going to pull this up for the audience so they can actually hear what the noises are. Cause they've Apple has them uploaded to YouTube. So here we go. Here's a quick guide to the sounds your air tag can make. This sound plays when you scrub to the, so yeah, moving with you has a specific noise and this is what it is. When an unknown air tag has been moving with you over time. This sound plays when you're locating an unknown. So that is the noise that it makes as it's beeping wherever. And these things are like you said, they're about the size of a quarter. They're pretty tiny. They don't exactly have a giant speaker on them that, that is announcing right. itself. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. what is the battery life on one of these things or does it just, or do you charge it? Like, how does that work? Um, I'm pretty sure it's like a watch battery. It's like a coin battery. Um, double check me on that though. <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I think they're made to last a long time. Cause it's like, you know, if you lose your luggage for days, you're going to want to know where your stuff is and you don't want it to die. Um, so they're designed to be something that you, um, yes, you're right. It's like a, that. it's a standard watch. It's like a little, it's a watch yeah. battery. It's a little bit of a bigger one. It's one of the ones that's about the size of the air tag itself. Uh, and they're designed to last a year before yeah. they need to be replaced. Right. And these things are so cheap. It's like you buy them in a four pack, you know, they're not really meant to be like, rechargeable right i guess you could <laughs> you could buy a new battery for it but like you could also just buy a new air tag yeah. um so these we, we talked about these about a year ago like we said like kind of when they first come out because the problem i mean the problem started almost immediately there were some horrifying cases um i think the last one we talked about was the woman who uh the allegation is that it was in the, the wheel well of her car mm-hmm. and that her boyfriend yeah. showed up and there was an altercation outside of a bar right Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember that. Has Apple done made any changes? Have they altered the way AirTags work? Yeah, so they over the years they've been kind of reacting. So it's been a very reactive response. So you know they they find out that this is an issue or that people start reporting this as an issue. Um, you know they'll do they've done things like shorten the time period it takes between between chimes, between how long it will start notifying someone who's being followed by an air tag. It's made the chime louder. Um, it's doing all these it made it Apple designed the um the Android app um because people are like you can't just like walled garden this shit. Like people's lives are on the line. Um and they they keep responding that way. For this most recent story we wrote, um they direct us to of all these kind of help posts that they have on the site about unwanted tracking and like what to do when you get an alert and 
how to make sure family members have unique Apple IDs so that they're not, um, you know, all getting mixed up as the same person. So they keep kind of rolling out these privacy fixes incrementally, which is great to see them responding at all. I think that's really a testament to the reporting that's been out there about air tags and the abuses that people do with them. Um, but it's also, they rolled this out, they launched it. They didn't really have any of this or any of these really strong protections in place in the first place. Um, which, you know, I, I think that's, that's part of kind of the culture of tech and Silicon Valley is, you know, we're just going to launch it and see what happens. Um, instead of thinking through the repercussions to people's lives and to the ways that it can open people up to uses. Um, so yeah, they're, they're working on it. <laughs> they're better than actually a lot of um, companies as far as like responding to reports like this, as far as like making the new features accessible. But at the same time, some people that I talked to for this story said, you know, I called Apple to ask them for help. And they told me that that's not a thing that, that people don't use them for, for nefarious purposes. And it's just like, <laughs> all you got to do is read the the police reports. Right. Right. Yeah. The, As you have the been many, doing. like hundreds of police reports on this, um, you know, it's, it's a well-documented thing. Um, you know, that you have support people at Apple saying, no, it's not, uh, which is just, I don't know. It's so discouraging for people who are actually trying to get help with this sort of thing. Well, the, the other part of this story, um, really revolves around family law and, you know, tech is moving fast and breaking things. And then you've got people that are in institutional power positions that don't understand the technology, um, yeah. and don't understand how it can be used for a crime or that it even exists. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was really thinking about, um, as I was reading this, it reminded me of, six or seven years ago when swatting and targeted harassment was first a thing and like police just didn't know what, what the hell it was or like how someone could attack someone through the internet. Um, can you kind of walk me through how the legal system is responding to air tags? Not well. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, with a, when it comes to a lot of things like domestic violence, um, it's really complicated and it's also really antiquated. Um, and then, like you said, when you're dealing with something like family law, where, um, you know, you have to really prove these kind of abuses without a shadow of a doubt. And that proof is on the person who's being accused. It's like, it's really easy to just kind of give up and say, you know, I'm just going to deal with this privately on my own because the cops aren't helping. You know, the cops are saying, we don't know what this is. You're probably being paranoid, stuff like that. I mean, we saw that in a lot of the freeze reports that we found uh, or that we obtained about this, um, where women were reporting being followed by air tags and saying, I think that this person who I can identify in my life, who has a history of being abusive uh, and crossing these boundaries, I think he's stalking me and this is escalating. And, you know, the police respond and are like, you know, maybe and like they just don't, they've never heard of what an air tag is in a lot of cases. Uh, Naomi, the the main woman who I talked to over this most recent piece, she actually bought an air tag after 
all of this went down and was like, I'm going to experiment it with it, experiment with it, with it myself and try to figure out how it works so that I can then go to court and show it to a judge because the judge didn't, the judges don't know um, what this technology is. They're just not familiar with it. So it's really easy for them to just say, Oh, you know, this is a, this is a private matter. You're going to have to do with it yourself because we don't understand it. Um, so yeah, it's so much burden on the the victims of this sort of thing to actually explain it to the system itself when it's a, a common enough thing that they should be on read up on this and they're just not. Um, and often the judges, like, I don't know how, what everyone's experience with family court is, uh, but often this stuff feels very uh streamlined uh industrial almost where yeah. you may be in the same room with everyone else that is going to that there's going to be a hearing about that day and the judge mm-hmm. is just trying to clear as many people off the docket as possible yeah um in in that room usually they have ultimate power uh depends on what part of the country you're in uh but you could be halfway through your air tag discussion and they can shut you down be like i don't understand what's going on uh let's yeah, just next. move on <laughs> next exactly yeah. Um, yeah. And it becomes so much more complicated too, when you're talking about like kids and custody and like shared property and, um, you know, if, in a lot of these cases it's married couples and the, their abuser is their partner and, you know, legally that's his car too. Um, that's his kid too. So it's hard to prove like, even though, and it's usually the man stalking a woman in, you know, hetero couples, but not always the case. Um, but you know, if she's like, I, I have a, a hunch that this is happening, that doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially when, you know, you're trying to talk about like, should, should this person's kids not be allowed to see him? Uh, you know, the judges take that very seriously, rightfully so. But then you have cases like this where it's like, you have to explain and prove and show and, uh, it's just exhausting and it's exhausting for, you know, the kids, it's exhausting for everyone involved. And I think that's kind of the point in a lot of these cases is to wear them down to the point where they just kind of give up and move on. And um, in one of the cases the the communal property thing is really interesting. So one of the cases uh, someone had an air tag, had placed an air tag in a spouse's car, but his name was on the title too. So there's nothing you can do. Right. Right. Yeah. And like, he knows that like she's driving it around and he wants to see where she's going. So he puts it in their car. Um, that's not a crime. Yep. Put an air tag in your own car. It's so a, it's certainly a, a violation of the, of the trust of a marriage, but it's not a crime. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. We're going to pause there for a break. Cyber listeners. We will be right back after this. 
All right, cyber listeners, we are back on with Samantha Cole. We're talking about air tags. Uh, so, final thought on this story: um, two women have now brought a lawsuit against Apple related to this. Right? What's going on here? Yeah. So uh, last week, uh, two women are suing or filed a lawsuit against Apple for exactly what we're talking about. So about um, being stalked by air tags. And it's shocking how similar these stories are to every other story that we've heard from people who are victims of uh, air tag stalking and stalking with devices. Um, I think one of them, one of them even said that her spouse was following her through putting a tag in their child's backpack and it's the same exact situation um and then you know she tried to disable that one and then another one started pinging so you know it was like he was following her via many air tags um so yeah i i think it's to be seen what happens with that lawsuit it'll definitely be interesting because i think this is the sort of thing that can create a precedent in the legal system you know this is as far as i know the first time that a major lawsuit has been brought like this against Apple with the with regard to air tags. Um, but yeah, it's just the the pattern of behavior with people who do this sort of thing is just so textbook um, that we thought it was like the same person and it wasn't. It was a totally different story. <laughs> it was just so similar. Um, so yeah, and that's a class action, I believe. So they're looking for more uh, more applicants for that. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be tracking that story as it develops. Um, as you said, it's it's just so textbook. And it's just like a perfect piece of technology that really enables shitty things people were already doing, right? Right, exactly. And then at the same time, it's like, it's a piece of technology that a lot, most people use totally normal. <laughs> like, most people are normal about it. Right. You know, I, I would love to have one just to keep track of like my stuff because I'm losing stuff all the time. Um, you can't really like say we we have to take these completely. You can say that a lot of people are saying that you have to take these off the market until we figure out what's going on. Right. Um, but at the same time, people are using tile. Like people use air tags for lots of really innocuous purposes. Um, right, that's a, the problems that we have are deeper than that. So that, that's a solid point. Like tile, which is a similar product to this existed for years before this yeah. came out, you know, like, yeah. um, for whatever reason, when Apple does it, it becomes, it's always kind of a big success and it's usually cheaper and yeah, yeah, less yeah. complicated and more streamlined uh, and gets more mm-hmm. mass adoption. But you know, Tile had been, has been around for a long time and yeah. people have used it to track keys and luggage forever without, right. uh, without incident. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are incidents. It's well, just, yeah. we don't hear about those as much just Fair because enough. they're not as mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really, it's tricky to kind of have both, have it both ways, I guess. So I also want to talk about, um, we'll get a little lighter here at the end. Well, depending on who you are, I guess. Uh, so you've got a book out, How Sex Changed the Internet, and we've already talked about it, but uh, we published an excerpt on the site, and it was something we did not talk about uh, when you were on the show last time, but I thought it was very pretty fascinating. Um, so porn addiction, is it real? That is the question of the century <laughs> for a lot of uh, counselors and therapists and people looking into this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think porn addiction, and this is kind of what the excerpt that is on Motherboard as of last week is about, is uh, 
porn addiction is very uniquely something that we talk about as something that the internet has brought forth. Um, you know, no one was addicted to Playboys. <laughs> you know, no one was addicted to to watching VHS tapes, or we didn't talk about it in the same way. Um, and I think part of that is due to a lot of the panic that people had about the internet and porn in the early days and still do. Um, and I think it's also a function of like people actually do have dysfunctional behavior around the internet in general and how we use it. And also specifically that comes along with porn and sexual behaviors. Um, so yeah, I, whether or not it's real, I think is something that's highly up for debate and also like real as a term (laughs) is tricky too. It's like, it's really something that people struggle with is feeling like they are addicted and they have uh, trouble regulating how often they're using porn. Like that's the thing that is real. Um, but at the same time, watching porn and being like quote unquote addicted to porn doesn't do the same things to you physiologically as like the things that we consider true addiction. So like drugs and alcohol and things like that. Um, So I think pathologizing porn and addiction to it, I think is a, is a road that you could go down if you wanted to um, get rid of porn in general as a bad thing on the internet. I think people are using it that way. People are saying, you know, we can't have this, this evil uh, society destroying content out there on the internet because people are getting addicted to it. Um, But the reality is I think people just, have a lot of really underlying um, stuff going on that makes them feel like they need to turn to this source of like comfort or satisfaction or whatever it is from porn. Um, And I think that's where most um, therapists who are really studying this right now are going. It's, you know, whether or not it's real is like almost beside the point for some counselors because you need to address what's behind that behavior why do they feel ashamed to the point where like they're almost like self-harming with their behavior? Why are they um, coming to you and saying, I feel awful. I can't stop watching porn. What's behind that. Um, I think that's where, that's where I see promise in this field is, you know, the therapists who are like, we're going to really dig into like the holistic approach and not just like branding you as an addict and then shaming you when you try to watch porn. It's wild to me because it mirrors so much drug war stuff. It's like almost the exact same language and the exact same kind of presentation. Um, You know, people can't handle this stuff. We have to take it off the market. Uh, And it's a considered a moral failing um, if you do drugs or do drugs in a way that is harmful to yourself and others. Right. Exactly. Um, And they're not the same thing, obviously. Like you said, there's big physiological changes, but it's, it's wild that we're kind of that parts of society are using the same model and the same language uh, to yeah. talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I think those groups share, like it's the handshake meme for them. <laughs> like they share a lot of the same motives, which are, you know, like controlling people's behavior is controlling them via shame um, instead of making it safer for them to exist and to thrive. They are just like, we're going to, make you feel bad about it and then recruit you into making more people feel bad about it. Once you are so-called healed, (laughs) we see a lot of this in like the 
And so like, you know, that kind of movement where the idea that you shouldn't masturbate is very prevalent. Right. Um, and then it makes you weak. Um, so these are all kind of intertwined ideologies. Right. Like they're Joseph Kellogg or something trying to preserve yeah. their vital essence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Cornflakes. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would, if you had to define it in a serious way, uh, how would you define it? Porn addiction. Um, I mean, I would probably, I would probably get like re rephrase it as like something totally different outside of addiction. Um, it would be, you know, like problematic, I don't know, internet use or something like it would be, it would focus, I would try to focus more on, you know, the, the person and what they're feeling and what they're doing and not like, you know, 20 hours a week, it's too much. Um, you know, a lot of people try to put a number on a lot of the things that people do as a way to diagnose them. And I think that's misguided in a lot of, uh, areas, but with this, especially it's like, there is no line there. So yeah, I don't know. I like how, if I had to succinctly define it, I would call an expert, <laughs> which <laughs> there are many in this, um, in this article and I've talked to many, but the, even they are like, it's tough because um, it's not in like the DSM five or anything. Um, but I think that's, that's the temptation is to kind of boil it down into succinct diagnosis. And right now we can't really do that yet. It's still something that we're trying to figure out. It's complicated you know, and new and it. we should not rush to uh, easy answers that we've used before. Yeah, exactly. All right, I've got one more story of yours I want to talk about. Uh, we'll end on a uh, more amusing, less depressing note, maybe <laughs> depending on depending on how you feel about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's what are they selling down at that CVS, Sam? <laughs> oh man, they're selling vibrators. They're selling butt plugs at CVS. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this has been, and if you have ever looked in the condom and lube aisle, you know, this has been a thing for like 10 years. So I don't, if you're shocked by this, I have to question your entire, um, <laughs> sexual ethic, I guess. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a conversation that's been happening this week because this weekend, uh, our, you know, fave Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, was at the New York Young Republicans Club, like their part, their gala. Um, and she got on stage and was like, oh, by the way, you can pick up a butt, butt plug or a dildo at Target now. Uh, I don't know how we got here. Like, this is the world that we're in, uh, you know, kind of very doomsday about being able to pick up a vibrator at Target. <laughs> um, and she was getting that rhetoric from Tucker Carlson um, who had a segment the night before about one of his producers stumbled into that old condom aisle <laughs> and was noticed that you could buy butt plugs there. And I guess this was a scandalous thing. Um, so yeah, this has been a thing since 2011, at least, you know, this is a very common thing that you've seen in stores for years and years and years. Uh, and now, uh, right-wing commentators are trying to turn it into the next moral panic is sex toys and their wide availability in the year 2022. Here we are. Uh, 
you know, it's funny you say in the year 2022, as a person from Texas, I have some anecdotes mm-hmm. for you because you, you write about this I you and I thought it was very funny. Um, yeah. So I, I remember living in Texas and the head shop is usually like a com- combined head shop slash sex store. You can go get your, your rolling papers and your dildos in the same place. Um, okay. And you would walk into – it got really bad after Bush was elected the, uh, the second time, I think, uh, back a long time ago. You'd walk into the sex store uh, and you could buy a dildo, but there would be – a label on everything saying that, you know, it was not to be used. This is for comedic purposes only, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, this is novelty. What, yeah, yeah. Novelty. Not, you know, this is one of the ways that they covered themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's always been weird down here. What, what you can and can't <laughs> buy. Um, mm-hmm. And communities do get excised about it. I rem- uh, I worked in a used bookstore for a long time. That was kind of a, in the middle of it. It was a strip mall in a neighborhood. Um, the bookstore moved and moved to a more active part of the city. Uh, and when it did a condoms to go came in, uh, and the people, when they learned that there was going to be a condoms to go there were very upset. And then in the middle of the night, someone went to the condoms to go and shot the front of it up with a shotgun after they moved in. No one was there. No one was harmed. Uh, but like, that's wild. My favorite part of that story is that not two miles away up the highway, but not in a neighborhood. There were several other condoms to go stores um, that no one, to my knowledge, was ever upset about or heard shot up. But their neighborhood bookstore being taken over—that was that was a bridge too far. Um, oh my god! And now the bookstore is probably like under threat because they sell books that mention gay people or something. It's oh just- <laughs> uh, yes, they are. I still have yes, I, unironically yes, I still have friends that work there. Um, the the pandemic was really bad. Um, there was a lot of people, there's a lot of fights, physical fights over masks, people being kicked out and yes, uh, people going in and finding, and again, this is a used bookstore that is largely populated by things that the community brings into it. Right. Um, People would go into the store, find the objectionable material, bring it up to the front and start yelling at the cashiers, my friends. Oh my God. So yes, that is, that was absolutely happening. That is a thing that was happening. And like people got arrested for doing like like Tupperware style parties in Texas because that's how they had to do it for sex toys. So you had to do it like kind of like under, under the cover of like going to someone's house with like a suitcase full of dildos and having like a, a girl's night. And then a, a retailer would be there with the sex toys. And it's like, and then people got arrested for that, for doing that yeah. in Texas. Um, and, and, and I, not, think, I think in those cases, charges get dropped a lot of the times, but it was like a real risk. Yeah. And not in, and again, not in uh, like a generation ago in my living adult memory. <laughs> like I remember that yeah. happening as an adult. Yeah, we're talking about people. like 2003, 2004, yeah. like not ancient history. No, not long ago. All right. Yeah. Uh, All right, Samantha Cole. Well, if someone else gets arrested for violating obscenity laws in Texas, I'm sure you're going to be coming onto the show to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming onto Cyber and walking us through air tags and dildos in the history of sex. Um, You have a new book out. We've already plugged it once. Plug it again. (laughs) Yeah, it's called How Sex Changed the Internet and the Internet Changed Sex. Uh, You can read about it on HowSexChangedTheInternet.com. Um, or you can find me on Twitter, Sam Lee Cole. I will not shut up about it there. Um, but yeah, it covers a lot of this sort of thing. So 
see you there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Always a good time. Absolutely. Thank you, Cyber Listeners. We are, uh, as always, sort of broadcasting live on Twitch and Motherboard at motherboard.com or yeah, youtube.com <laughs> forward slash motherboard and twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. We're taking a little bit of a break, but we will be back in the new year. Uh, with some new lights and some new stuff behind me. It's going to be exciting. Uh, We'll be back again one more time this week to talk about uh, some other dangerous things that are happening on the internet. Stay safe out there until then, everybody. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.